The following program gives personal opinions and is intended to provide entertainment and information only. It is not considered to be any form of legal, investment, appraisal, or inspection advice whatsoever. Listeners are encouraged to secure two to three bids from competing contractors for specific issues pertinent to their home or situation. Welcome to Real Estate Unveiled, where we pull back the shades to give you the truth and nothing but the truth about real estate with a laser focus on everything about home inspections and real estate appraisals. That's right. We're here to demystify the real estate process and take the fear and anxiety out of the equation to unearth the real scoop about home inspections and the real estate appraisal process. Oh, if homes could talk. Well, that's our job. I'm Tim Hance, board-certified master home inspector and owner of All Islands Home Inspections. And I'm Elizabeth Hance, Washington State certified real estate appraiser and owner of All Islands Appraisal. Consider us your truth tellers, unbiased ambassadors of and mouthpieces for the home. We're delighted to be here. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we're excited to have Stacy Warner, Senior Mortgage Loan Originator with Bank of the Pacific. Stacy is the spouse of an active duty service member and specializes in VA loan financing, as well as FHA, USDA, Jumbo, and conventional loan programs. Stacy has significant experience with mortgage banking, loan servicing, loan processing, and loan underwriting, which helps clients buy, refinance, or build their dream home with confidence. You can reach Stacy at 360-588-9383 or www.bankofthepacific.com. Stacy, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure, and thank you for being here. It's awesome. So, Stacey, how many branches does Bank of the Pacific have? Is it just Anacortes, or is this like a nationwide bank? So we have branches in Washington and Oregon. Um, we have some full branches, and then we also have some that are just loan centers, and it's approximately 17, not wow. including our admin office. And then do you work with um, with all of those? Are you like the the main loan person? for? Se- I can't imagine you are for 17. That would be a tremendous no. workload, right? <laughs> I can do loans in, Washington, in all of Washington and Oregon, um, however, we all, in each location, we have a loan officer available. Gotcha. So you focus on basically the Skagit, Whatcom, San Juan, Island County, this general geographic area, right? Yes. It makes it a little bit easier. So I can, if I need to go over to where the borrower is, I can drive there easily. So more personal service. Yes. Much more personal service. And it allows, you know, more one-on-one contact as far as that, but it, you can't, I have been able to do loans in Oregon because we can do things remotely very easily. So it's whatever is most comfortable for that client. And you actually have gone like to their location to meet with them if they're not able to come to you or do electronic because there's a lot of stuff that happens electronically and not everyone's technically savvy. I've actually driven. um, I had one client that they lived over in Oak Harbor and they weren't comfortable with using the Internet, which is completely fine. So I just drove over and met them at their house. Tim, you've you've run into that a few times too, where you've had to print out reports or had requests to actually um, have a hard copy of a report because both you and I just te- um, our reports are delivered electronically. It's just a PDF. Right. A lot of other options for what we do, but yeah, yeah. there are still quite a few people that need extra special service. Well, and sometimes it's just nice to meet with somebody face to face because you can review those documents individually. 
And so if it works easier to drive to where they are, then that's what I'll do. That's Which awesome. I think is huge peace of mind and customer service too, because those documents are, they're, they're legal documents and they can be intimidating if you don't have an expert kind of walking you through, you know, what does this mean and, and where do I sign? Yes, because a lot of people will just sign it, but I always think it's really important to know what you're signing and to fully understand. Right. There's a lot of papers that you have to sign. We recently did a refinance and it was amazing how many pages there were to review. Um, So what are some of the benefits of going to the Bank of the Pacific versus like a national, um, uh, something we all see online or when we're watching TV, we see Rocket Mortgage or Quicken Quicken Loans. What's the, um, besides the personalized service, which obviously you've just told us you're willing to give and to help people, are there other advantages to using a smaller bank? So one of the advantages is um, our loan center where our processors and underwriters sit is located in Bellingham. So if I needed to talk to a loan, I can literally drive up there and speak to who's going to do the final underwriting and go over a scenario. Or maybe I have a client that's income isn't just standard. So you have that nice contact with them and it's not to where it's so separated. We actually know each other and trust each other. So that helps to make sure that if we, at all possible, we get those loans through. So that helps with the communication. I, I feel it's really nice to have the personalized service of somebody. If you want to go in and talk to me face-to-face, you can do that. You're not just talking to a computer. Right. And is the process fa- is probably a little bit faster because you can speed up the steps that might ha- another company might have to go through a lot of process and red tape, and you can go directly to... Um, the folks that you know in Bellingham. And another advantage I was thinking is those people have a geographic understanding of our area and the communities in which we live and work. So that that can be very helpful because you might be describing uh, a property that they want to buy and these people act or something that's come in, maybe an appraisal on a property that's unique. And those underwriters have at least a pretty good understanding of where we live. I think that's definitely the case because we all obviously live in the same communities that we're doing loans for. So it helps to kind of see the full picture and know what we're talking about when we maybe need to go the extra mile for a client. Right. And if we just go online and sign up for some some advertisement we see, we're not getting somebody like that. You know, and I think whether you're refinancing a house or buying a house, the whole team that you're working for, it's you really need to trust that person and feel like you can ask any question. So because there, a lot of the times you'll get first time home buyers that maybe, you know, they're a little afraid to ask a question because they don't want to feel, you know, dumb or it's a question they shouldn't answer. And, you know, I tell them all, ask me anything. If I don't know the answer, I can go to somebody and get it for you really quickly, whether it's a real estate agent or my underwriter. So, right. Yeah, yeah there are no dumb questions. Absolutely. And I think it's of critical importance to work with somebody local and with, like Liz is saying, geographical competence, um, because I I don't do loans myself, but I work with thousands of realtors who I can tell you countless examples of them saying, oh, my client's getting a loan through someplace on the East Coast, and they get almost to the end of the process, and the whole situation blows up because, um, you know, for for myriad reasons, and, um, you know, that they didn't understand the context of the loan or the geographical area, or it was a unique property in some way that a local lender would have that knowledge about and would have, you know, dealt with the issue ahead of time. So that's happened quite a bit. I've heard that story. Yeah. The local knowledge, you can foresee some of the questions that might not come up, um, you know, in it. you can foresee it in advance. 
But this might be a good time to ask the question of whether or not the Bank of the Pacific uses appraisal management companies, because that's another part of um, what happens in sort of a larger lending environment. We do use an appraisal management company. Um, A lot of the appraisers that are on the rotating panel, they're all local appraisers. I usually recognize their names. So, and to me, that's a good feeling because then it's an appraiser that is familiar with this area because even between Island, Skagit, and Whatcom County, it's very different communities, and the appraiser needs to know that. Uh, do you guys cover the San Juan Islands, or is it Skagit and Island and Whatcom, mostly? Yes. If I have a customer over in the San Juans, I can okay. do a loan there. Oh, great. Okay, good. Yeah, And I, again, I'm a home inspector, but from an appraisal management review standpoint, they usually have an in-house appraiser that reviews the appraiser's work. That's what an appraisal management, part of what they do. And, and, and those people with geographical competence is important too, because you want to have a local appraiser, of course, that understands the difference between, you know, a house in Anacortes and one on Orcas Island or downtown Bellingham. Um, But you also want to have, you know, somebody that's reviewing the report uh, with some geographical competence too, so that it, uh, you know, Liz has had a requirement. Yeah. But (laughs) if you're going to actually review the report in the sense of asking questions that are value related or adjustment related, you have to have the geographic knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, you know, do do does Bank of the Pacific keep house or loans in house, or do you guys sell those off to the secondary mortgage market, or how how does that work? The majority of our loans are sold on the secondary housing market, but we do have loans that are considered portfolio that we would keep in house. Great, yeah. So you do both, yes. And you lend on all types of property, so invest small investment properties, vacation homes, second homes, yes. everything. We okay, can, nice. We can do all those all of the occupancies. And if it's a business loan, we also have a business loan center that could help somebody out. So you go through the loan process and you work with Stacy to, um, you know, garner the, the requisite information that's necessary. And we'll probably talk a little bit more about that as we get moving on here, but there's something called the underwriter, which kind of sounds like undertaker, a little scary, but the, the underwriter, um, is, as I understand, it's a, a, a person that's kind of overlooking, you know, the, the loan process for the bank or to, to evaluate the, the, the risk and the assets. And, um, uh, can you talk more about what an underwriter is and how they play into the game of, of loan processing? Yes. So the, what the underwriter does, they're going to evaluate the income, the asset and the credit documentation that's been submitted and make sure that what we've turned in not only is calculated correctly and input correctly, but also meets the guidelines for the loan program that we're doing, such as like an FHA, VA, or a conventional loan, because they can all have a little bit different guidelines. And so they review it to make sure, okay, this is what what we have is all we need, or maybe there's one or two more items that they're going to ask for, and then they let you know. Um, And they also review the appraisals to make sure that the, the appraisal report that's been submitted is acceptable and it's they agree with what the appraiser is saying is, and there's no errors or anything in the report. So it's it's a double check, you know, dotting the I's, crossing the T's, making sure that everything's been put together perfectly so that there aren't any snafus or hiccups. Yes, they definitely do the final review to make sure that, that there's not going to be any problems with the loans um, before they're closing. Right. And the um, often in, in the appraisal world, world, the underwriter will often come back and ask questions of the appraiser or the appraiser may have brought something up in the appraisal report um, intentionally so that the underwriter can 
determine whether or not they believe that that's an issue that it needs further action. Maybe, you know, is, you know, we saw something, do they want another professional to come out and relook at say the roof or, you know, some, some discoloration that looks like mold, but you know, appraisers aren't mold inspectors. So that's where an underwriter will, will make a determination, right? When they review the appraisal. If there's any kind of Mm -hmm. red flag that maybe Mm -hmm. an appraiser's called out or that they just see within the report, because mm-hmm. their ultimate goal is to make sure that that house is safe and sound for the borrower. Right. Yep. And they're kind of the ultimate, like the the last person to review all the information that's come in. So the appraiser's been out to the property. They, they've made their report. The appraisal management company has already reviewed it. And now it's gone to the underwriter and they get to sort of look at not only the appraisal, but all of the documents that you would have gathered from your clients, right? So their income information and the... Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. absolutely correct. Okay, yeah. So a lot of times we get requests from the underwriters and those um those requests for say reinspections or repairs to a house or further evaluation are really coming from the underwriter. They're not coming from you and they're not coming from me or Tim. They're really coming from that final check that's representing the risk assessment. Yes, cuz when we receive an appraisal report, usually the appraiser is going to mark as is, meaning there's no repairs that they see that should be called out or they will mark it subject to. And then they usually will include within that report the items that need to be corrected. Um, very common is like moss on a roof. So if, and depending on the condition of that roof, they might ask for maybe a roofer, a licensed roofer to go out to further inspect it because they can't tell what's under that moss. Right. And are those for like moss on a roof, for example, would be certain lending type loans, right? Like for a VA and FHA loan, those are more common. Or do you see those on every loan, like the conventional loans too? I see it on all the loans. Okay. So they just feel the roof is so obscured. And of course, we just had a big, we just had a lot of snowfall, which has made, you know, seeing the roof of a house very difficult. So impossible under Almost. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I, I know that I've read in those circumstances you use all the available data that you can. So you're looking at the interior, you're looking at the ceilings, and hopefully there's some areas that aren't covered with snow <laughs> when you go out there. Well, and sometimes I'll be called back to um, further evaluate a roof for, you know, like the client will call me and say the underwriter has asked for a roof evaluation. They want to have a two or five year certification on the roof. Another one's a structural pest inspection. Sometimes the appraiser will call out evidence of apparent insect activity or water intrusion. And that's when I see triggered the structural pest inspection requests from underwriters or the lenders requesting that. Um, Years ago, when I first started a structural pest inspection, which is looking for carpenter ants, beetles, termites, rot fungus, um, that kind of stuff, basically wood destroying insects, was pretty standard with home inspections. In fact, we just did it as a matter of course. But then I found over the past, you know, five to 10 years that they're rarely requested. So I just provide them when they're requested for lenders. Have, has that been your experience too, Stacey, that they're they're not required as much um, or, or is it fairly rare or are you seeing a lot of that? The only time we would require it is basically what you said, if there's evidence of something going on within that house. And then we definitely would want to have it done because we don't want somebody to buy a house where there's infestation or anything happening. Right. But because we don't require an inspection, we suggest strongly that somebody should get one. It's 
unless it, there's a need for it, then we're not going to ask for it. And so that'll come up either with the appraiser pictures. You can see black or you can see something that the underwriter is looking at these pictures saying, wait a second, we see something that looks suspicious. They want to have a structural pest inspection. Or if the appraiser's concerned that there might be water damage, then they are going to do it's what subject to. Isn't that right? And yes, they'll make it subject to and request further investigation and have the report. And a lot of times, especially in this area, it can be very common. Right. Um, and sometimes it's it's just a matter of getting the water pumped back out and showing that, you know, we it's a dry area. It's just, you know, because of the weather and the timing that happened. Right. So. Okay, great. So with respect to home inspection reports, I usually advise my clients to keep that information to themselves, to not, in other words, share it with the lender. Or, <laughs> or the with, appraiser. Or the appraiser. <laughs> that's true. Liz and I, we're in two different fields. And the reason for that is because it's private information that's a really technical evaluation of the house. And I've seen clients before who have shared that with with the lender or the appraiser. And then they're, they have knowledge of, of stuff that they would never have knowledge of otherwise. And sometimes the underwriter requires a lot of stuff to be fixed that otherwise would never have been discoverable, but for having a, you know, a, a good home inspector going through it. So do you concur that you'd rather not see the home inspection reports unless it's absolute or how do you handle that? So if somebody gives me an inspection report, I have to review it and turn that in because now I've seen it and have knowledge of what's on it. Right. And I'm not saying that an underwriter would call out every single item, but anything that they have any concern on will be called out and asked to be corrected. So the report is the borrower's report. And so that's usually a tool for them to know what kind of items that they're wanting to get fixed. Right. So on the inspection report, we don't do not require it. It's for them to keep and go off of. So it's, it's their own personal uh, document that they have paid for and contracted with versus an appraisal has been contracted um, through the lender and it is the lender's property, which is something that often home buyers are not aware of is that the appraisal is the property of the lender and not of them, even though they've paid for it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is confusing. So basically here's, I will say it, Stacey probably can't say this, so I'm going to say it to anyone listening. Keep your home inspection report to yourself. Don't share it with anyone unless your realtor is telling you to share it, in which case then you have to, right? But otherwise you want to keep it to yourself. The real estate appraiser who's hired by the bank is going to go in and do their own kind of little inspection, independent inspection um, that the underwriter is going to review. And that's usually what the underwriter is going to look at from an inspection standpoint. But um, less information you give the lender or the underwriter, the better when it comes from an inspection standpoint, because an inspection is very nitpicky and very thorough, super thorough. And, and that's not necessarily something that, that uh, the lender cares about or needs to know about, but they, they might require some things to be fixed that you otherwise wouldn't care about. And you also would recommend that they not turn it over to the seller of the home if they're the home purchaser too. They're to keep that document. They can make a quick list of the items that they have after they've read your report that they would like addressed, but it's not a document that they they need to share right. uh, really with anyone other than maybe their agent if they're comfortable with their agent and they have a good level of trust. The other thing I would add in into this part of the conversation is that not every loan, not every appraisal is done in the same way that a home inspection is done. A conventional appraisal does not require us to look in the crawl space in the attic, whereas the FHA and the VA appraisals will. So there there's a, a limitation on sort of the in-depth 
uh, the amount of uh, looking around and crawling around that an appraiser might do for each different type of of loan. Yeah. And I, I think as you do your due diligence uh, to our audience, uh, when you're selecting a loan officer like Stacy or a home inspector like me or your realtor, you, you want a good team working for you. And so your realtor, if you if you find a great realtor, trust your realtor. Your realtor is going to guide you on what to ask for, what information to disclose or to let, let your realtor help you control the flow of information and guide you. That's what you're paying them to do. They're being paid to um, guide you through the process and purchase a home or sell the home. So I would rely on your realtor to control the information. And I would add there that we've had a lot of the local realtors here in Anacortes recommend that we interview Stacy because she is such a reputable mortgage originator here in in this city. In fact, I, I asked at least 10 colleagues and Stacy was was um, listed by every single one of them. So it was it was like a no-brainer to interview Stacy. So and that's not to say that there aren't other great loan officers in town and geographically around, um, but it was pretty pretty clear. So Stacy, you must be really good at what you do and you're obviously very well respected. Oh well thank you very much and everybody who told you that it's a huge compliment. It yeah. is. It's nice yeah, to hear really these is. things, yeah, isn't it? it? Is. Especially was, when they're they're secondhand or thirdhand, and you know that you know this is it's not being said in in the moment just to um, <laughs> gain favor. Um, it might be a good time to talk about the certain little things that come up in the the appraisal process that could be avoided by homeowners um, in advance of the appraiser coming out, so that that appraisal report that gets submitted to the lender can be in that as is condition, as you mentioned earlier, something that doesn't have any any reason for a, a fix or something to be addressed again to cause maybe a delay in how long it takes for the loan to actually close or to require the appraiser to come back and verify. So some of the things that come to mind are simple, like carbon monoxide detectors. You see that often? There's actually some houses that we'll get an appraisal report on that have none with within the house. And basically the requirement is that there's one on each level outside the vicinity of where all the bedrooms are. Um, and it's, if there isn't one in there, it's a quick, easy fix. It just needs to be installed. Right. They just plug them right into the outlets. You can buy them at every hardware store. Um, some real estate agents just keep them in the trunk of their car. They're $20 or under. And um, yeah, they do need to be present on every level of the home. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, it's a state law that if you're selling a house, the seller's required by state law to do that. So, um, and, and let's it, not forget, smoke detectors are also required. They are. They are. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I like the combination smoke carbon monoxide detectors. That way, you don't have multiple detectors throughout the house. You pay a little bit more, but they're good for ten years. And so, before the appraiser comes out, please put carbon monoxide detectors on each level of the house so that the appraiser can document that they're present and not have to create a subject to appraisal and then have to return. Uh, to recertify their appraisal report. So that's a simple thing to do. You know, another one is uh, double strapping a water heater. That that gets called out by home inspectors and I think real estate appraisers almost every time. And if it if it doesn't, I remember Liz years ago, she forgot to take a picture of a water heater and the underwriter wanted to uh, verify that it was double strapped, right? So the underwriter actually reviews work and wants to see that it's been double strapped. Is that right, I Liz? forgot to take a picture of the water heater. Well, maybe Are you, you sure? didn't forget or they asked. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> now I I'm getting in trouble. I think we just talk about it. I, I always take a picture of the water heater. I usually mention to the contact person that I'm scheduling the appraisal inspection with, you know, these really obvious things. Because as an appraiser, 
I don't want to come out there and have these small items that are easily fixable in advance cause a problem for them either. But yeah, double strapping top and bottom of the water heater for earthquake safety. And I think it's a state law, right? And this applies to, I think there's an RCW I dug up one time. Um, It applies to water heaters irregardless of their location, even if they're in a crawl space underneath the home or if they're in a, in a cabinet. Uh, sometimes the manufactured homes that we see, they're behind like a, a panel, kind of a built-in. Um, it's often permanently attached in, in place. So that's another thing. You make that water heater accessible in advance of the appraiser coming out. So take that panel down if it requires tools. Most appraisers aren't going to pull out a screw gun and start removing panels. Some of the VA appraisers might do that. We carry a ladder. We carry a few small tools, but um, making that just super easy to get to. The other thing I would say on an FHA and a VA loan, we have to look head and shoulders at a minimum in the attic space. And sometimes when, and Tim, you see this all the time, when you first open an attic, all this stuff can come down. Like immediately you go to open the hatch and there's insulation or I don't know what's coming down if it's their personal storage items or whatever. So opening up that attic hatch before the appraiser comes is so helpful because we don't want to dump insulation all over your carpet and your hallway. I wish I could have my clients open up hatches before I got there. Gosh, you guys are spoiled. Well, we're just trying to do a good job. So that brings a good question. So in FHA and VA, you have to look into an attic um, and take pictures, I I assume. So if there's apparent mold growth or discoloration up in an attic, Stacey, do you see that the underwriter is sometimes, often, always calling that out as a potential issue? Never? I would think the appraiser would call it out, but definitely an underwriter because it could be a health issue. So that would be an item that would need to be addressed and it would need to be removed and corrected prior to closing. Right. right. As an appraiser, we would put something, we'd take photos so that the person reading the report can see what, as best we can to see what we saw. Also put text in there to describe it as best we can. But since we just, we did a whole podcast on mold with a mold testing company, there is no way short of actually taking a sample to really know if it's mold. So Appraisers will use statements like apparent mold or mold-like growth or a greenish, blackish color, and then that's when the underwriter gets to look at the the photos and the comment and the the information we've been able to give them, and then they make a determination whether or not that is significant enough. Right. And the other thing is that for FHA and VA, the appraiser is going to look under the house if they can find a crawl space access hatch and look underneath and the house. manufactured homes. And manufactured mm-hmm. homes. Mm-hmm. And if you see standing water, Stacey, is that kind of the same red flag for lenders that they that could be a health issue? Yes, because they're going to want, well, one, they'll probably ask to make sure all the water is removed and that either somebody's like in, installed a sub pump, I believe is the terminology, right. yeah, pump. so that it doesn't happen again, because right. that could result in damage in the future. Right. And the structural integrity of the property. So I think four good pointers for homeowners that are getting an appraisal, whether you're refinancing or buying a house, um, uh, is that the carbon monoxide detectors on each level of the house, making sure the water heaters are double strapped top and bottom, taking a look into your attic and taking a look into your crawl space. And if you see any signs of mold or water, those are issues that are likely to come up with the appraisal. So it's important to have those dealt with. I also heard Stacy mention that treating moss, and we did a, a podcast with right. 
um, Osei Ken, you see, out of Oak Harbor, who does a roof moss treatment, that that's a big one because if the roof is obscured to the point where the appraiser cannot make a determination on uh, remaining life of a roof, that that is, that's something. So, and that the treatment of that, um, just very briefly, is never pressure wash a roof ever. Okay, and if you if you do, it's super super low pressure. Is that right? Is Usually, that what, what they'll uh, do if if the lender or the insurance company is requiring the roof to be quote unquote cleaned, then they'll kill the moss, they'll treat it, and the best way to do it is to kill it and treat it so the roots in the moss will actually release and they won't be as embedded into the roof coverings, and then they'll return. X number of weeks later and lightly wash it off as, as lightly as they can so that the roof can be viewed, assessed, and then uh, its condition can be determined and useful remaining life can be ascertained. And the easiest way is to treat it a few months in advance uh, yeah. or to treat it regularly because I can imagine when you have a loan application in, a roof is, um, no one can make a determination on them. And then you've got this treatment process that takes months to actually complete that that's a major problem because you you know this whole thing needs to happen. The person needs to come back, be able to assess the roof and and make a determination. So there are mechanical ways of removing the moss, but better to just treat it routinely and keep it clear. Stacy, so aside from those five, the carbon monoxide detectors, water heaters, look in your crawl space, look in your attic, and then make sure the roof is at least visible to inspection. Are there any other, you know, uh, trigger items that kind of stick out or top of mind for you with respect to refinancing or purchasing a home that an underwriter or lender would care about? I think anytime that there's any signs of water damage, even without mold, you know, that needs to be assessed because we don't know where it's gone or if it's just on the top layer and, you know, maybe somebody, I don't know, their kids splash too much in their tub or whatnot. Right. Um, another thing can be peeling and cracked paint. Um, that needs to be addressed. They need to have all that peeling and cracked paint scratched off and the wood then needs to be either painted or at least protected. Right. And is that just for VA FHA or is that for pretty much all loans? I have seen paint? it called out on all loans because, yeah, because on every property, we don't care about cosmetic issues. You know, like if somebody has pink carpet, we do not care about that. But what we I like do, pink carpet. <laughs> you can have pink carpet. Okay, so. you. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, what we do care about is, you know, is that house that they're going to purchase or that they're refinancing, you know, in a few years, is there going to be more damage because something wasn't addressed properly? Right. I can see like if it was... Um, uh, unsealed surface exterior paint and you've got the raw wood, then you've got a very high likelihood of a water issue right there. So I can see why if there's a significant amount of of peeling uh, paint or missing paint on uh, even on a conventional loan, I could see that being brought up. Little tiny stuff. The VA is a lot stricter on the peeling paint and the yeah, but and, that's okay. And with older homes, they're more concerned from a health standpoint too. Peeling paint inside, let's talk about that. On a home built 1978 or prior, if there's peeling paint, is v, does VA or FHA care about or any lender lead with peeling paint? Yes, we actually have a disclosure, especially on our on our FHA and VA. It's a lead-based paint disclosure because right. we definitely want somebody to be aware if they're purchasing a house that could potentially have that because it's a, it's a major health hazard. Yeah, right. especially if it can become airborne or if the paint is just falling apart and all over the floor, right, where somebody can eat it or breathe yeah, it. Yeah, or even if they yes. decide to renovate. You know, it's it's good to have that disclosure in there. Make sure this is probably another place where your personal interaction with your clients comes in 
handy because you're sitting down with them and you're explaining each document that they're signing. A lot of people are just going through pages and initialing things, but you're there to tell them this lead paint disclosure. While it's not a problem right now, if you decide to go and refinish your windowsills or something, you should wear protective gear. And we we did make a podcast that someone could listen to um, about how to properly protect yourself if you're going to start um, removing paint that could have lead in it. Two podcasts, one about asbestos and another one about lead, which right. would be really worthwhile to listen to. Okay, cool. Any any other thoughts, Stacey? I think we're getting close here. Any other thoughts that might be helpful to would-be um, would be purchasers or sellers that are looking to refinance their home or to purchase a home that would help make the loan process as seamless or smooth as possible? Are there any kind of recommendations? I know there's probably a, a long list, but... Maybe your top three or or five. <laughs> well, I, I think the biggest thing is, and, and I think both of you have kind of addressed it, is to work with a team or, you know, if you're a refinance, your lender, make sure that you trust them and you're comfortable with asking any question. That is huge. And I would ask the questions up front so you know what to expect. And there is no question that you shouldn't ask. Um, the other thing is any item that you're requested, if get that in at the beginning because waiting on a document, it could change the whole entire loan process. I prefer to have, I, I do what I refer to as pre-underwrite as far as reviewing the credit and the income. I like to do that all up front and have it completed so that there's no surprises at the end. So. Yeah. And delays can re- result in delay and changing rates, right? I mean, can't rates change within a short period of time? So I lock a loan in typically once my borrower says it's okay and they're under contract on a purchase and sell. What it can do is add on a loan extension fee to keep that rate. So, and you know, those can add up very quickly and it also could cause delays in closing. And then you have to get permission from a seller to extend if you go past that closing date. So So let me ask you this. If we lock a loan at, let's say 5%, just to pick a nice even number and, you know, we're closing in 30 days, uh, the rates then go down to 4.5% or they go within that 30 days is, is, are we stuck with the five or does it go down to, how does Does it depend? So, well, it always kind of depends. However, if it has such a significant drop like that, we can do what is called a rate renegotiation. Um, Cause we definitely wouldn't want to keep that customer with us. And we also don't want them paying a higher interest rate than they should. Right. So it'd be definitely something that we should look at. I, as well as my other fellow loan officers, we typically look at those rates every single day because they can change multiple times in the day. So it's really important information for us to have. So if there's a huge drop, then we definitely would be reaching out to our customers to make sure that we're still giving them the best deal possible. I wonder if we could do just a a very brief breakdown of when we say VA, FHA, and conventional, what those things actually mean to somebody who's maybe new to this. Um, So I, you know, maybe do you want to address what, um, what the difference is? Just real general, what the differences are. So a VA loan, um, obviously that's for a veteran. They can be active or retired and it's for all services. um, And it's, one of our government loan pro- products, um, you can do 0% financing, or I'm sorry, 0% down payment. Right. Um, then yeah. we also have an FHA loan product. It's great for first-time homebuyers, um, requires 3.5% down payment. Um, it, it does have a county loan limit, so there are some restrictions on that, and it's different per county. 
Oh, okay. So Mm -hmm. another great product, which is also government, is USDA. That's another where you can do 0% down payment. It's typically a lot of first-time home buyers love that program. It does have restrictions on how much income you can make. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are factors that go into that where we can make adjustments and whatnot, such as like number of household and children involved. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we have our standard conventional loans which um, if you don't fit in the other categories or maybe you have a down payment for 20%, it's a great product also. You can do a conventional loan nowadays with as little as 3% down. Awesome. Um, On the conventional loan products, you can do financing for a primary residence, a second home or vacation home, or also investment property. So if you're looking to buy a rental I've heard the word jumbo before. So a jumbo, is that in the conventional category, just a higher loan amount or how does that? It's considered what they would call non-conforming. It typically follows the standard conventional guidelines. But what the big thing is, is the conforming loan limit is currently 484350 So if your loan amount is over that, not the purchase price, but the loan amount, then you're considered a jumbo loan program. And there are several different options that are available, but the biggest thing is are the guidelines. They're a little more strict. The interest rates aren't too far off nowadays from a standard conventional loan, which is wonderful. Um, but the guidelines usually it's such as like two years tax returns and maybe the debt to income ratios are a little more restrictive than a standard conventional loan. Mm-hmm. Right. And with the median home price in both Skagit and San Juan County, uh, being very close to five hundred thousand right now, um, a lot. I'm, I would think that a lot of the loans are qualifying as jumbo. Yeah, but we have everything. That's just a median, so high and low. Okay, it's a wrap. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a thumbs up and comment, as it really helps build audience and get our message out. Special thanks to Stacy Warner with Bank of the Pacific and Anacortes. You can reach Stacy at three six zero five eight eight. 9383 or www.bankofthepacific.com. Stacy has worked with many realtors I know and trust who highly recommend her. Also special thanks to David Baker with Seller Rat Recording, www.sellerratrecording.com. If you're looking for a top-notch real estate appraiser, please contact Elizabeth Hance at 360-317-5845 or www.allislandsappraisal.com. And if you're looking for a home or commercial building inspection, please contact me, Tim Hance, at 360-298-1163 or www.allislandsinspections.com. We welcome your feedback and comments. If you'd like us to cover a specific topic or if you know someone you'd like to have us interview, please let us know. Thanks again for listening.